G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Wonderful to have you with us and today our special pre-election broadcast and bringing you the cream of Australia's Christian political commentators to talk about the issues as they are unfolding for tomorrow's federal election, a significant election. I mentioned a change of the guards. Joining me in the studio, Dr. Rod St. Hill, who's a economist and academic Academic, who developed a business curriculum that embeds missional business models with God at the heart. Uh, he's also a campus pastor at the Ignite Life Church on the Gold Coast. And joining us on the line from Melbourne is Babette Francis. Babette leads the Endeavour Forum based in Melbourne. She's a senior fellow in social policy at Macroeconomics. She's a vice president of the Family Council of Victoria and vice president of the Drug Advisory Council of Australia. And Babette is Indian-born and a mother of eight. Hello, Babette. Welcome along. Hello. Can you uh, get a bit closer to the phone? Your voice is very faint. (laughs) I'll try and speak up as loudly as I can, Babette, and uh, a special welcome to you, Rod St. Hill. G'day, Neil. It's great to be with you. Uh, we, I'll just uh, get your reflection quickly before we move into other issues. Of course, uh, Bob Hawke's passing overnight. I want to, uh, Rod St. Hill, a uh, reflection from you as to uh, the loss of a great Australian Prime Minister. Well, there's no doubt that he was a great Australian Prime Minister. He came into, uh, into a power at a time of great change, not only in Australia but worldwide. And he handled that very, very well indeed. He's probably one of the best Prime Ministers Australia's ever had. Babette Francis, your thoughts on the passing of Bob Hawke last night? Well, uh, he was was a great man in some ways, but he was a flawed human being like uh, like all of us. (laughs) I'm a flawed human being, but my flaws are not as much on public display as Bob Hawke's. Look, he was a, a, a great prime minister in some ways. He directed our attention towards Asia. Uh, he did some good things, but also he was not good for uh, the Christian and pro-life um, and pro-family values that, uh, uh, that we espouse, that Endeavour Forum in particular espouses. Rodson Hill, when we talk about the contribution that Bob Hawke may have made uh, in an economic sense and perhaps contrast that with the change that we might see today, I wonder whether you've got a reflection on the way that economics in Australia has changed over these past four decades. Oh, well, certainly at the time that uh, Bob Hawke and uh, Paul Keating were um, Prime Minister and Treasurer, as I said earlier, there was a lot of change going on in the world. I think they realised, along with their advisors, that Australia had to become much more market-oriented. And, uh, of course, during Bob Hawke's prime ministership, uh, the financial markets were deregulated, and that brought a great benefit to our nation. There were also very massive changes made to our whole approach to tariffs on imported products. That made a big difference, especially to people at the lower end of the income distribution. Uh, it was things like that which had a major macroeconomic impact, I think, that he will be remembered for most. 
Your thoughts, Babette Francis, on Bob Hawke and the economic conditions that he was in control of uh, back to the 1980s and perhaps the changes that have happened in that time. What are your reflections? Well, he was progressive in some ways. He uh, directed our attention towards Asia, reduced uh, a lot of the, uh, let's say, racial uh, inhibitions or prejudices Australians might have in regard to Asia and Asians, and uh, insofar as he reduced uh, work to reduce tariffs, that was a good thing. But he didn't do a great deal for um, what I regard as the pro-family movement. You know, I think we probably went backwards during his era because uh, he didn't support traditional family values, um, issues like income splitting, um, pro-life values, you know, so... Uh, his uh, tenure was was flawed in many ways. You know, from the Christian pro-life perspective, he was a disappointment. Rodson Hill, when we talk about values and uh, perhaps this idea of uh, pro-life values, Christian values, uh, does that affect the economy of a nation? Uh, because as Babette just seems to indicate there, that there was a, a, a regression in the idea of family values, but there was all sorts of progress happening by way of what was happening internationally with our economics. What are your thoughts on, on the connection between the way that perhaps a government cares for families and ultimate outcomes for an economy? Well, yeah, it, it does make a difference, and, and you can't really separate economics from family. You can't separate economics from social policy or anything like that. It's an artificial distinction, actually. And uh, what happens in the economic sphere has massive implications for family. And uh, I know that in the past, some uh, political parties and uh, aspirants for political office have made it clear that they'd like to see an audit of all policy done on the basis of its impact on family. If you don't have strong family, you can't have a strong economy. Babette Francis, when we talk family, uh, if we talk family here, uh, there is a certain sense in which priorities become important, don't they? It's not just the greed that generates the economic increase, but it's how families are affected. What are your thoughts for families today with the sorts of policies you've been across? Well, I think both parties are are flawed in what they're uh, offering families. the top of the list, I would say, what I'd like to see is income splitting between fa- between spouses for taxation purposes. That's a really good pro-family initiative, which neither political party has taken up. I regard that as very important. Um, what um, economists and politicians don't seem to realize is that the stability of families affects the economic situation of the country. Where you have broken down families, that's a a great cost um, in terms of welfare and taxation that's imposed on all Australians. So it's in the interests of, um, in the economic interests of the country that we uh, help to ensure the stability of families. And um, economic policies are one of the ways of ensuring uh, stability of families because uh, economic pressure, which um, maybe forces both spouses to go out to do into paid work and either neglect, have their children neglected to some extent or placed in long daycare, which is not ideal for young children, is a retrograde policy, which ultimately will disadvantage the nation. Because you need 
uh, children to have a stable home life if they're going to be themselves going to be happy, productive, stable citizens in the future. And I'm not sure either policy is either policy of either either party is geared towards that. Rodson Hill, when we talk about the policies that both major parties might have towards families, as we listen to these sorts of effects economically on uh, family, uh, whether there is a focus on family or whether it's uh, almost a greed-driven uh, economic uh, position, what, what's your assessment for, uh, for how policies might have been presented? And I know they probably haven't had the limelight uh, of, uh, of the mainstream media over this campaign, but what are your thoughts for policies that uh, that these both sides of government uh, might be presenting and whether they are actually good or not? Well, well publicly, of course, the um, major parties haven't said a lot about family policy, but there are some very major differences, especially for Christian families, because um, the, uh, the coalition, of course, have said that they'd, they'd be prepared to um, actually establish the position of the Freedom of Religion Commissioner, which... I think is going to have a significant influence on families through through schooling and so on. The uh, the Labor Party are also going to establish a position, but it won't be anything like that. It'll be a position which is which is out to ensure what they would see as a lack of discrimination against the LGBTQI um, group, and I actually think that's going to undermine a religious freedom and freedom of speech in general, and uh, that will impact on families. There's no doubt about that. Babette Francis, what's your view on that, the impact on families of even this difference between those two positions? Uh, what are your thoughts here? Well, the, the first of all, the, the policy of the Labour government that I'm most appalled by is the... Uh, I recently got a press release from uh, Tanya Plibersek, and uh, she talks about Labour's plan uh, to support women's reproductive rights. That's a code word for abortion. Um, quite, uh, quite apart from the moral issue of abortion, our birth rate is below replacement level. And yet uh, Tanya Plibersek is going to fund um, even more abortion. Um, it, there's no corresponding uh, plan to uh, support pregnancy support services or baby bonuses to enable women who are pregnant to go ahead with their pregnancy. So it's a very one-sided policy, and I, I believe this will do enormous damage to the nation, not just from a moral perspective, but from an economic perspective. Because, as I said, our birth rate is below replacement level. And here I'm looking at a press release from Tanya Plebisek, um, Labour's plan to support women's reproductive rights. That's a code word for abortion. There's nothing for pregnancy support services or baby bonuses. You know, Peter Costello's um, previous excellent policy where uh, when you had a baby, you got a baby bonus, and the bonus increased with each successive child. That's what we need in Australia, an investment in the, the future of our country, which is uh, in the babies we're having right now. Contrast to that, Rodson Hill, is the idea of immigration policies and how that affects the economic status of Australia. Any thoughts there? Any a minute out from news? Well, um, yeah, that's a very difficult area. I, I think, on the whole, our population is growing too rapidly, given government's reluctance to keep up to date with um, infrastructure 
And uh, I think I've mentioned here before, of course, that we need to do something about water in Australia. So it's time to revisit the whole issue of diverting water from northern Australia to the west and to the south. Babette, you mentioned just before the news uh, the idea of families and the way that they may be advantaged or disadvantaged depending on the way the vote goes tomorrow. What's your concern, Babette, for the financial stability uh, that is necessary for families to flourish? Well, I'll get, first of all, get back to the fundamental of um, uh, what Tanya Klebasek's uh, press release has said, um, Labor's plan to support women's reproductive rights. That is only going in one direction, to support access to abortion. What about the women who have um, economic problems in regard to their pregnancies but would love to continue with their pregnancies if they could afford to do so? There's no counterbalance of pregnancy support services or a baby bonus. That's the first thing. Now, the, the second issue is that Labour's policy seems to be directed at getting all women into the paid workforce, regardless of how uh, young their children are. And I uh, am very strongly in support of a mother being uh, economically able to um, look after her own children when they're preschool. It's very important for uh, both women and the, their babies, for the, uh, the mother to be able to breastfeed her baby for as long as possible, the, as long as the baby will nurse. The World Health Organization recommends uh, two years of breastfeeding. This is very important for the baby. It avoids um, uh, gastrointestinal infections and, re- and uh, um, respiratory infections, and it's also very good for women in reducing their risk of breast cancer, which is the major killer of women. Uh, premenopausal and the third major killer of women postmenopausal. So uh, we need economic policies to enable mothers to be able to stay home with their babies and breastfeed them for as long as possible. And the neither party is um, enunciating this kind of policy, but the Labour Party is worse because it's all focused on getting mothers of young children into the paid workforce and having their children put in uh, their babies put in long daycare. I think it's an absolutely atrocious policy for a relatively wealthy country like Australia that there is a political party, you know, actually not only tolerating but proposing the idea that a three-month-old baby should be put into long daycare. At Rodson Hill, we're very familiar as Christian believers the value and the importance of a mother and the mother's influence in particular on those early childhood years. There does seem to be an economic principle in play in Australia that says we want to give women a choice as to whether they can go back to work. In fact, it seems to be more the, the push to go back to work than it is to stay home because we don't support mothers so well at home home. What are your thoughts for the economic issues surrounding this for the family about the fact that government policies really try to push women into the workforce? Yes, well, unfortunately, I think that's true of both of the major parties, that that there does tend to be this uh, general idea that it's a good thing to get more and more women into the workforce. And in fact, we have the highest participation rate of women in the workforce in our history right now. And uh, both sides of, of government are promising to, in one way or another, subsidise childcare. And uh, Babette mentioned a little earlier the idea of income splitting for um, for couples. 
and uh, that policy idea has been around for a long time. And as far as I know, the only party which is taking that policy to this election is the Australian Conservatives, and of course they're only um, fielding candidates in the Senate. Neither of the major parties has, at this point, uh, come up with any kind of support for that sort of policy. However, I will say this, that if if the full income tax reform uh, proposals of the coalition are actually implemented by 2024, something like 90% of taxpayers will fall within that 30% tax bracket, and that will have the effect of bringing many, many couples into the same situation as they would be if there was income splitting. But uh, I really do think that it's long overdue time for us to allow this because that will at least ease the pressure a little bit on families. Rodson Hill, let me stay with you as we move the conversation forward because when we talk about conservative governments as opposed to progressive governments as we might be able to differentiate a coalition from a Labor government, the idea of the size of government is one of those things that's usually on the conservative side where it's conservative economically, they would say that we are wanting to have a smaller government. What are your concerns for size of government on both sides? Well, look, in my opinion, if you look at history, there's no doubt that the Labor side tend to believe in bigger government with much greater reach into everyday private decision-making as compared with the coalition government. Unfortunately, the current coalition government has been spectacularly unsuccessful in reducing the size of government during its term of office. But looking ahead, over the next five to ten years, it's very, very clear that overall the economic policies of the Labor Party will increase the size of government. But more important than that, when you actually have a look at the details of their policy, they will increase the reach of government into decision-making, both in in terms of families, but also in terms of businesses. And uh, I happen to believe that the overall approach uh, of the Bible tends to suggest that government's primary role is providing security nationally and providing security within the, the national context as well. That is but to protect our borders against invaders from outside and to protect individuals' property from um, being impacted by, by other people and also allowing people access to the means of production. Now, there's not very much role for government beyond that. So government at the moment in Australia represents around about 40% of the total income that we earn. In other words, we, we soak up around about 40% of total income in Australia running government. That's local, state and federal it's very, very clear that under Labor, the size of government overall will increase. It'll stay about the same under the coalition. But importantly, when you have a look at all the social policies or the economic policies of the Labor Party, there is far more direction in terms of our activities than is the case with the coalition. And actually, I think this is one of the most important issues in this election. How much do you want government to interfere with private decision-making? Let's talk about interfering. Bring you in, Babette Francis, because if we talk about interfering or even intrusion, size of government could mean that there are more and uh, more extensive services, but usually that means there's more intrusion into an economy. What are your thoughts for size of government? Well, I think it's in the interests of um, 
the uh, Australian population to reduce the size of government. And one of the worrying trends in Australia is that the federal government is encroaching far more on issues that uh, should be local issues, either by local government or state governments. And that is a very worrying trend. It's making a mockery of our federalism. That's one issue. And uh, the other issues, other issues that I'm most concerned about that the Labour uh, Party is promoting, and one of this is a real nonsense issue, and this is the the policy of transgenderism, which is um, in courts, which is creeping into school education and uh, almost government policy. This is absolute uh, rubbish from a scientific point of view. There's no such thing as transgenders. There are some unfortunate individuals who have, instead of the basic XX or XY chromosomes, they have some abnormalities. But those are abnormalities. They're not new genders or transgenders. They're like someone who's maybe born with six fingers or or only four fingers on, on, on one hand. And this uh, absolute uh, scientific garbage is being promoted as serious educational policy. And I'm just... Uh, astonished that the Australian Medical Association and uh, other scientific bodies like the CSIRO don't call it out. There is no such thing as transgenderism. Human beings come in two kinds, male and female, and any variations on their chromosomes of XX or XY are abnormalities, not new genders. You're talking common sense and pure science, aren't you, Babette? Uh, let's get an, imp- an insight here from, uh, from Rod St. Hill, because as uh, Babette indicates, education is an issue here. And for those who are wanting a deeper conversation about what is at stake when it comes to transgender, uh, I'd point people to the podcast from a conversation I had yesterday with Dr. John Whitehall, uh, who was very insightful when it comes to the science and uh, the way things are unfolding and uh, his pessimism as to how things will change beyond tomorrow if there is a change of government. But let's uh, get your insights here because as an academic, as an educator at Rodson Hill, the sorts of things that are being taught in our our academic institutions uh, seem to be far from science and much more ideologically driven. What are your thoughts for things that have been developing? Well, I'm not really an expert overall in education, but my my impression is that we are now living in a post-scientific age where ideology trumps everything else. And we're seeing that in schools, we're seeing that in universities as well, with the shutting down of free speech. And I think that's something to be very, very concerned about. You know, it's not important that we all agree, but it is important that we all respect one another. And uh, what we're seeing in this election campaign, I think, is evidence that respect is lacking. And uh, certainly that's the case uh, where, where organisations like GetUp are being involved in local campaigns. There's no doubt that civility is uh, severely lacking. And I know Wendy Francis was talking about that uh, a little earlier today. And, uh, you know, I really do think that we should go back to um, those days when, you know, the Christians said we have to actually investigate things. We actually have to do good science. But uh, I'm afraid that that's lacking in our institutions to a large extent today. I've heard people talking about this contrast of what's happening in this election, particularly around issues of climate change, where there is an emotionally driven ideological stance uh, that uh, trumps the idea of economic cost 
Uh, Babette Francis, uh, I know that, uh, as I understand it, Labor hasn't released any sort of model costing for their uh, climate change type of approach. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, though, but particularly on this issue that undergirds this, uh, the emotion that drives the ideology or the common sense, uh, the science and the economics that drives the cost of these sorts of things for an economy. What are your thoughts, Babette? Uh, well, I think it affects the, um, the, the, uh, the poor, the relatively economically disadvantaged families and individuals in, in Australia. It's all very well for the um, wealthy middle class and, and elites and the Labour Party to talk about climate change and introduce policies that push up our electricity bills. But I just shudder to think of the effect that's happening on um, uh, the economically disadvantaged retired people and the um, economically disadvantaged families in Australia. Uh, I'm on a relatively uh, comfortable middle-class income, but even I'm appalled by my electricity bills, and it's also unnecessary uh, because of this theoretical uh, fear about climate change. Australia can do uh, absolutely nothing to affect climate change one way or another because um, India and China, who are the biggest emitters of uh, whatever CO2, are uh, just going ahead on their own uh, own way in the interests of their own people. And whatever restrictions we impose on our own um, uh, functioning in regard to electricity um, is having absolutely no impact on climate change. It's just making it very hard for ordinary Australians to pay their um, electricity bills. And that's, that can cause actual health stresses and um, further uh, and and health stresses, health um, problems impose further economic stresses on uh, the Australian taxpayer. When we talk about the cost of our electricity bill, we're talking about the cost of living and I know there's been a number of surveys over the campaign where so many electors have said this is the biggest concern that I have that prices just keep going up especially when it comes to energy prices then there's the issues that go along with uh, you know those who are wealthy and uh, even policies that uh, they would have on the left side of politics of taking some of that wealth and redistributing that and that might be a socialist style of uh, having a policy platform you've been concerned Rodson Hill about uh, the terminology the big end of town, uh, almost because that is somehow rather bringing a contrast, even a class distinction. What are your thoughts for big end of town issues that people have been hearing through the campaign? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that I thank God for the big end of town because by and large the big end of town create the wealth the rest of us depend upon. And um, really it's not going to make all that much difference which party wins. The top 5% of income taxpayers in Australia is still going to be spent... um, paying about 30% of the tax. The top 20% pay about 80% of the tax. So um, I really don't see that this idea of the big end or the top end of town is justified at all, especially when it's not defined. Uh, we know that it's defined as $180,000 a year in uh, in cash income, and uh, they're the ones who are going to pay the additional 2% uh, tax, up from 47 to 49%. And uh, look, I know that many of us think of $180,000 a year as an awful lot, but you've also got to understand that at that level of income, you don't get very much by way of government services for free. So it's not actually all that easy for people on those sorts of income to to survive. And um, 
I, I think that that's, it's a tragedy that we might be thinking that somehow or other a tiny proportion of our community ought to be paying the bulk of the, um, the, 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 the revenues to the governments. And I know that some of the rhetoric that's coming from the Labor Party is that things like um, uh, dividend imputation or a gift, there's no such thing as a gift from government. The government can never gift anything because it can only give something to somebody when it takes something else from someone else. And, and um, I, I really think they ought to be called out for using that kind of language. <coughs> Pardon me. We know that if we were looking at extremes on the left, when you say socialism in an ex- its extreme form is communism, uh, and we'd say that there'd be extremes on the right too, and this capitalism side, uh, which would uh, indicate that, uh, you know, a society or a economy that's greed-driven has big challenges. Of course, in our Australian uh, parliamentary democracy, we have this House of Review. We have the lower house that makes that frames that legislation, and then the House of Review in the Senate actually has uh, some checks and balances. Uh, let me bring us to what will be a important element of tomorrow's uh, election, of course, and that is uh, the election of people into the Senate. And I know that there are a number of parties that do hold very strong Christian values that would like to see any capitalism in Australia uh, limited by ethics, good Christian ethics, and any other challenges that come from a different side governed by ethics, good Christian ethics. Let's talk, Babette, just for a few moments about uh, concerns about the Upper House, the Senate, and really a very quick response because we're running out of time. Uh, your thoughts for how the crossbench might look after tomorrow's election? Uh, well, I hope that we will get some Christians elected to the uh, Senate who will uh, be able to control uh, the worst successes of a Labour government if we do get a Labour government in the House of Representatives. But, uh, Neil, I just want to go back quickly to the the way that uh, coal has been uh, made a sort of villain. You know, uh, the whole Industrial Revolution was based on the on coal mining and the uh, and its uh, availability as a source of energy and now coal is demonized as being responsible for climate change and all the ills of the world you know the world is coming to an end because we're using coal but the ridiculous part is that we're not leaving our coal in the ground we're exporting it we're exporting it to India and to China now if coal is such a villain why are we exporting it uh, this you know why aren't we just leaving it in the ground this is the tremendous hypocrisy of uh, governments uh, that you know they regard coal as the villain. Coal is the is the the item in the ground that <laughs> once we dug it out, enabled the industrial revolution, gave us cheap energy, brought us to the level of prosperity that we live in now. And now it's regarded as a great villain. But what are we doing with this villain? We're not leaving it in the ground. We're exporting it to India and China. So how is it uh, wrong for us to use coal over here in Australia to as a cheap energy source? But I bet you're right. There is a Major con- major contradiction there, isn't there, in the way that uh, the whole ethics of what happens uh, with our exports actually works. We have drawn a, uh, a time. We have to uh, put a line under this, but uh, I want to say thank you so much to both of you. And uh, just to encourage listeners, uh, before we have a quick 60-second update from Dave Beard on some number crunching about the election, 
The christianvalues.org.au website has the Christian Values Checklist from the Australian Christian Values Institute. It's a single page. You can look at green ticks and you can look at red crosses as to where the parties stand on the issues that you will be voting about tomorrow. And some people say, I wish I knew more about who stood for what. Well, that's a simple one page. I'll point people also to the Australian Christian Lobby website where they've got some detailed uh, analysis of the parties and the candidates. Also to Family Voice Australia, familyvoice.org.au. And uh, that's some places where you can arm yourself with some more information before you cast your vote, as there is this encouragement to vote according to our Christian conscience when it comes to this very important election tomorrow. But to Babette Francis uh, in Melbourne today. Babette, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today. It's a pleasure being on your program. And to Dr. Rodson Hill, thank you so much for making your way to the studio and for offering these great insights. Really appreciate your insight, Rod. You're very welcome, Neil. Let's go to a 60-second update on some of the biggest challenges when it comes to the election, the way things are playing out. Dave Beard is in the studio with us. Hi, Dave. Uh, G'day, Neil. Well, there's 151 federal electorate divisions or seats in the House of Representatives. And so before the election, the Liberal National Coalition start with 72, Labor 71 and eight crossbenchers, including Bob Catter from the Catter's Australia Party. Now, many polls have had Labor in front 51 to 49 on a two-party preferred basis. So when it comes to changing seats, I'm seeing that the Liberal National Coalition losing 13, however gaining six, that's Bass and Braddon from Northern Tasmania from Labor, Wentworth from an independent in Eastern Sydney, Lindsay from Labor in Western Sydney, Herbert from Labor around Townsville, and Indi from an independent in northeastern Victoria. The crossbenchers staying at about eight, uh, losing three and gaining three, including the ones gaining Cowper in New South Wales from the Nationals, Farrah in southwestern New South Wales from the Liberals, and Clare, which is around Orange from the Nationals. And with uh, Labor losing four and gaining 11, ending on about 78 compared to the coalition on 65. So in Labor, uh, winning Leichhardt, Ford, Petrie and Bonner from the LNP, Gilmore and Robertson from the Liberals in New South Wales, Latrobe, Chisholm and Karangamite in Victoria, and Hasluck and Swan from the Liberals in Western Australia. However, there are another dozen seats which are very close, which conceivably could go either way, and I'll share about those in the last hour. But it just demonstrates, Neil, that your vote is very important in this election. What it demonstrates, Dave, is that tomorrow's election is likely to be very close down to the wire. That's right. And... uh you know, it'll be an interesting night tomorrow night. I think it'll be a long night. <laughs> it will be. Uh, Dave, uh, we'll hear some more from you again shortly. And we're back after Focus on the Family to continue our special Election Eve broadcast and talking to the cream of Australia's Christian political commentators. Back with more then. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.